Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey, a group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Hey, hey, what is happening, people? What is going on? What is popping? What is cracking? You know, uh, we are in the house. I'm very, very excited to be to be discussing Luke Cage Season 2. Um, you know, we're doing a series where we'll be reviewing uh, basically like four episodes at a time, kind of just get into a discussion about it. But yeah, yeah, um... As always, I'm here with the Black Comic Chat crew, just the Black Comic Chat crew tonight. You know, I, I kind of like these episodes, man. I, I love our guests, but I love, you know, kicking it with the crew. So, first up, as always, we got the International Lady of Mystery, who was just, uh, you know, regaling us with her, her latest travels, always fresh off her award tour. We got Grace. Yes, yes, good to be here. Uh, and as you mentioned, yeah, definitely literally just got back last night from another award tour in the Caribbean. So, um, you know, kind of fitting actually with some of the places that I went to, uh, that, you know, it'll kind of tie into the discussion here a little bit. So, uh, yeah, good to be in the scene. Yeah, no doubt. And next up, we got the red lion of the crew. We got Tony in the house, you know, what's going on? Tony? What up y'all? What up y'all? I'm, I'm happy, happy to be doing this. You know, this is a, a very special episode. I think something we've all been waiting for. So, um, I've, I've also been traveling a little bit. You know, I just got back from my own little trip, Las Vegas, which is oh, 107 yeah. degrees. But Sin City, Sin City, Sin City, yeah. Sin City. You know, I won't, I won't get into it. But I, there might be some pictures of us and some uh, street superheroes, uh, which you know. Yeah, you know, you had some guys there. There's just as Iron Man and Deadpool and Spider Man, and I felt bad. Because it's like 107 degrees. But you know what? Right. Exactly. Word. Iron Man in 107 degrees. That's a dedication. <laughs> and you want, oh, there was, uh, also, there was a Black Panther, too. So, I mean, Oof. whatever. You want, you want to know something? Like, I feel like the superheroes on the street, like the superhero hawkers for money peeps, I feel like I'm over it in big-ass cities. Like, New York City has a shitload of them. Okay. And Vegas got them. And L.A. has a ton. Of, like, they all hang out. There's like... 50 of them outside man's Chinese all the time. I like, I want to see them in like Bumblefuck, Iowa. Like I want to see just like Spider-Man, like at the crossroads, three acres away from like the nearest civilization, just, just standing there. Like, Hey, Hey, I got you. 
You know, I want to see I want to see some entrepreneurial superheroes in place where we don't expect them. That's my hope. Mm. Well, we we got a big Iowa listening audience, I'm sure. So so get on it, Iowa. You yeah, know, let's make it happen. You know what I'm saying? Let's oh, make it happen. Yeah. And right there you heard you heard the 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 last member of the crew tonight, you know, we got my brother from another mother. We got Leo in the house. Yo, what's going on, Black Comic Shop people? This is exciting. We don't we don't do much spoiler. Have we done a spoiler cast? Ah, you know what? You know what we did? Inaugural? We did. We did that one uh, that was never released. We did the Batman vs Superman one. Oh, <laughs> we should put that oh. out just to put it out. Bro. It was you know, never we, released. Was I high? Mm. What are for you talking pro- about? For probably good reason we, that because that movie sucked. That movie's oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. That was a good. It was a good chat though. Like yeah. <laughs> no, you were there. You were there, Leo. Marcus, you, what else? What else have I forgotten? <laughs> have we done one on Suicide Squad? <laughs> Uh, oh you, you, no, so. because you definitely didn't like that one. Yeah, that no, no, would have been entertainment. Yeah. I, I think we should I just know. have, have Leo been... and Tony do a debate about Suicide Squad. Oh man, you know, you That's know, true. you know what? But are we saying what? that the only reason this would air is if Leo liked the series? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like you know what's funny. Like honestly, I I'm not even as hyped to shit on Suicide Squad right now because like Marvel is just mopping the floor with the DC. Yeah, that, it's like, like me. Not, it's not even. Yeah, it's not just. <laughs> I don't feel good about it. Like I'm like yeah, it's terrible, but yeah, you know. Get, get up, get up off the floor. It's like, it's like making fun of Ted Cruz's face. You know, I mean, you you could do it. But it's like, you know, it's... Yeah, it <laughs> just got they got clowned like permanent. Like it, it's not it's not even a fight anymore. It's it's just cruel. So. Yeah. Speaking of Marvel. Speaking of Marvel, yes, uh, we we're we're here tonight to to nice segue. We're here to speak about uh, Luke Cage season two, which you know I'm I'm excited about. Um, we're we're recording this. Uh, the embargo just was just lifted yesterday. Um, right, right. We're recording this uh, about a week before it drops officially on Netflix, and uh, yeah, we had the privilege to see it a little bit early. Um, I'm very very excited about this season for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, we're gonna speak about episodes one through four tonight. So um, I guess you, you guys want to just kind of go around and just give some initial thoughts before we kind of start walking through, or? Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be good. Absolutely, absolutely. Sure. Purely on all four, like just a, a general kind. Yeah, of... yeah, maybe just of this particular four episode arc, and then okay. yeah, yeah, just thoughts. Um, so yeah, uh, Grace, what what did you think? Uh, so I'm gonna just like from the broader viewpoint. So shout out to the fact that there were women of color directing and writing these first four episodes. And like, I was like super hyped about that. Cause I was like, yes. Okay. We, we like running some things here. So, um, for me that, that was kind of like a big win, um, outside of even just before diving into the episode itself, <coughs> like seeing Lucy Liu and seeing Sally Richardson, Whitfield mm. and so forth. So, you know, like names that we're very much familiar with, and have seen the other work. So I was just kind of like psyched about that from like the jump. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and I, I think as the series progresses, it's, um, you know, that, that continues. If, if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, aren't they mostly directed by women? Mm-hmm, uh, the, mm-hmm. the For the season? most part. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is super dope. Cause I mean, obviously, you know, we speak all the time about the, about inclusion, but inclusion, um, on that level, on the on the creative levels, particularly with uh, directing and writing, you know, is is a must, and I think it, it bears fruit quite often when it, when we see it. So, 
Yeah, no, it's great. And like, I mean, curiously, this often seems to fall on the shoulders of black creators for some reason, which you know, mm-hmm. I know Ava DuVernay and her work with Queen Sugar, making sure that women are behind the camera, often women of color, but not exclusively. Um, right. A kind of uh, like a manifesto for the creation of that show. Um, so, you know, white brothers, like, get some more of your women of color up, <laughs> up and paid. Like, right, right. Take their cue. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's a that, no, that's a that's a totally great point, and yet also totally believable for Cheo. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, of course he did that. Cool, cool. Tony, uh, any initial thoughts? Well, the initial thoughts was, you know, the use of of music in the in the particular, particularly the first four mm. episodes, just like you know, last uh, season, season one, right. um, is very appropriate. Uh, particularly, you know, the opening of the first yes. episode. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about mob deep shook ones. How do you how? I mean, that's that's one way to absolutely get me excited about a show, and we're not even like. 49 minutes deep in it you know so it's right. just, the, yeah. the way the the way the, the the episodes flow um the music is done well i i really think that you know <clears throat> what i particularly really like is the slow development of characters yeah. and not, mm-hmm. not just luke you know what i mean we're not just talking about the you know the the development of luke we're talking about the development of everyone around him you know mm-hmm. misty knight shades mariah, mariah. tilda yeah. you know <clears throat> bushmaster of course so we're talking about just this overall overarching development of characters that really stands out in the first four episodes and, and of course uh, the rest of the season yeah, that, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, both of those points. I mean, music and uh, and the character development. Um, and I think I guess. Well, Leo, you go. But I'll, I'll uh, I have uh, my 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 um, thing. I was going to point out is, is somewhat related to what Tony was saying. But Leo, what what are your initial thoughts? Uh, I want to make sure that we uh, that that we get on the record of the stenographers listening that that shook one's part two. True. Song. True. Okay. Um, let's you know, let's uh, let's make sure that our details. Did you just are... actually mean? <laughs> he, he did. He did. Well, he did. actually, Shook One's Part <laughs> One was less memorable than Shook One's Part Two. <laughs> no, 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 part Two is a little more family. Friendly. That's a good point, though. Uh, good point. No, uh, yeah. Um, no, I totally agree about um, about the use of music and. One of the things that I most appreciate about this series, which I feel like we will get into more detail as we talk about the show throughout these episodes, um, is that the the use of of, of Jamaican music and mm. reggae music specifically, oh, yes. like entirely new color to the palette, <laughs> like yes. it's just painting with totally new colors into the 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 kind of like like sonic texture of the show, which was so important in season one. It was like when when those when those sounds first start emerging in mm-hmm. the regular procession of the show i was like oh i didn't realize like you could upgrade it like i didn't realize you could put this too you know and have all the things around it so i mean mm-hmm. that that to me like kind of blew, blew the blew the the sonic aspects over the top um and yeah i i also agree that the show is slow uh, i don't think this is a spoiler for the whole season but i do want to establish that uh season two of luke cage feels like a solid piece it's not split into two it's nope. not like daredevil it's not like luke cage mm-hmm. part one mm-hmm. the season one it's like one solid like narrative arc. yeah it's like a big long movie right, right. and i i personally like that i don't need i, do I need my marvel show split up you can tell me one thick story and i'm good with that like yeah. in this case slow was good like you know i i preferred the slowness to you know jack rabbit speed yeah yeah well yeah i mean what what i was going to to add is just that um along those lines 
is I, the way that the character development does happen. You know, I think the comparison of Luke Cage being like the Marvel show's answer to the wire has been made before. But, um, you know, I think that, that it, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a worthwhile comparison in, the, in that, like, in The Wire, you know, you have... I think they really made a jump because, like, traditional cop shows, you see everything from the cop's perspective, you know, and when you see um, the, the, the criminals or whoever, the, the other characters, they're kind of tangential and it's not really about them. But it's like The Wire did this thing where it's like, you kind of saw it from everybody's perspective and it, it built a much larger, richer story. Um, and there were there were moments in this season where, like Mariah and Shades respectively, I was kind of like, kind of rooting for them at moments, um, you know, and and then other moments very much not. But you know what I mean. But it's it's kind of like you know each character is given uh, a, a humanity, and and you're you're allowed to kind of see into their window and kind of see some of the stuff that makes them tick. So I mean I, I thought that added to the richness and yeah definitely the music uh i it's it was it was it was just you know spot on and also like you know shout out to uh to adrian young and uh ali shaheed muhammad once again you know oh, man. Mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah really doing their thing but yeah um yeah let, let's let's just jump into it though i mean tony you pointed out um you know the Before- Oh, go ahead, Grace. I'm sorry. Real real quick, real quick. Um, This just proves that, like, sometimes um, series are better than, you know, doing a movie. Yep. Like, you know, like, I prefer this, you know, Luke Cage as a series versus just doing this two, two and a half hour, you know, cinematic feature. Absolutely. So, like, this proves, again, that sometimes some things are better, you know, laid out in a, you know, television or can't think of another word, you know, another format versus just the long that's a, that's a super interesting point, Grace, because like I I don't know if I agree with you thoroughly, except for Luke Cage, it totally works. I feel like a, a Luke Cage movie wouldn't get you there soon enough. Like right. you, you would just kind of be stumbling through the origin, getting to this thing. He's popular. He's not popular. Like what? Yeah, but like in a show, the 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 length and the format of it in in, in on on TV or on Netflix streaming does like work for it perfectly. I couldn't. I can't really imagine it as a film if the show never happened. Like just right, yeah, yeah. bringing the character in the modern age in a film. That's really never thought about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, you know, obviously there are certain things that just perfectly certain narratives or stories that fit that two-hour format. But I, but um, the fact that television has just glown up, glowed up to this point. You know what I mean? Like where there's yeah. this quality episodic television. It does. It's open new opportunities that we wouldn't even have imagined. Like, you know. right, right. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, that's a good point. Absolutely. So yeah, so so Tony, you mentioned that we jump into the series with Shook One, like literally, like <laughs> that 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 when that. Shook part two. Yeah, Shook One's part two. Right, right. Shook One's part two. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, thank you, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh man. We should we we should we should go into our our, our, our first time we heard Shook Ones. I, I I literally remember where I was the first time I heard Shook Ones, but we can save that for for, for another. Yeah, let's episode. save that. Let's save that. We'll save that. All right. So anyway, um, go ahead. It jumps right into it. The the, the scenes, um, basically him busting into this 
drug workshop because I think they're making, you know, obviously they're making some sort of blue magic type of thing, but, you know, with the name of Luke Cage on it, which I think um, becomes more important. It's a little tidbit that I think becomes more important throughout the the series. And, Mm -hmm. And I think it just shows that Luke is, you know, doing what he's been doing since, you know, season one, which is basically kicking ass and taking names and, and making life overall just harder for Mariah. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and you no, know, and, and the names are a really important point because I feel like a theme of the entire season is branding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. 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 Yeah. yeah, I think the the social there's a, a backdrop of, of, of social media social, and the social media, media yep. aspect. And the speed know? the speed at which information travels. Absolutely. Today. But what what I found fascinating, I, I never really thought about it, was the uh the Harlem Hero app. That, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? That sounds absolutely amazing, but also dangerous at the same time. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're not looking at like someone like Peter Parker who, you know, gets to go home and, and rest and hide. No, you literally, if you see Luke, you can take a picture of him and everybody knows where he is. Right. So I found that to be absolutely, just absolutely interesting. Well, it's sort of like his farmer in the Dell whistling if he was Omar. That's why he sort of doesn't mind because he's like, yeah, let him know I'm here. Like that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm walking these streets. Like he's not hiding. He's not using a, a moniker or anything. Uh, so it kind of works for him, even though it does get in his way. But like he seems to sort of have embraced it. Uh, right. right. Much, yeah. Well, it, it works for him until it doesn't. You know what I right. mean? Right. And, right. and going yeah. going back to you know to the the idea of music setting the tone. Like I, it's obviously very purposeful to open this episode with shook ones because it's like Luke has everyone shook you know right. and, right. and you know and, and, and so yeah. we really come in on an up note for him albeit not necessarily an up note um maybe like emotionally where he's at because I, a running theme throughout this season is luke's anger and um, yes you yes know, and like the Absolutely. very first shot as soon as that shook one's part two as soon as that shook one's part two um <laughs> drum drum beat comes in you know what i mean as soon as it drops like the first thing that we see visually is luke crumpling the the rapper from one of the packs that had his name on it you know right and it's like clearly he's not happy about it because it, it's, it's almost like uh it, obviously luke's not feeling drugs coming to the community but the idea that it's coming to the community with his name on it you know right. what i mean it's like he's extra just angry about it and um so long story short like like we we, we kind of entered it's this basically story. if i could in- interject with some yeah. hip-hop history it's basically like when public enemy got pissed off when they tried to use their name to sell malt liquor yeah, yeah. Like yo, it's funny you mentioned that because <laughs> because the the uh, the hip hop analogy I had, which also invo- includes Public Enemy, was going to be uh, the time when when a uh, premiere sampled uh, Chuck D's voice for the Ten Crack Commandments. Uh huh. Because it just ran totally contrary to everything that PE is about. Yo, that's great. That also, I, I love it. The, using Luke Cage's name on the bundles is illegal sampling. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, there you go. That's yeah, good. That's like good. for real, for real. And Chael's a hip hop. You know, it's so. yeah. It's it's interesting um, because you know this really comes full circle because most of the the season also has to kind of just a little bit with sponsorship. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, here's a guy. Right. I mean, obviously the yeah. hero for the, the Harlem for Hero app or whatever it's called is basically you know his way of maybe getting money. You know, and. 
I think that what we see like in, in episode two is maybe this growing idea of, of like maybe getting sponsored by let's say Nike or whatever. Um, what I found very interesting was I felt like I was kind of watching like Spider-Man in the sense that he was always broke, you know what I mean? And always trying to like at least make rent. You know, um, and I think one quote, and I wrote this down because I thought it was really, really cool, was um, he said, you know, just because you're a woke superhero don't mean you got to be a broke superhero. Broke superhero. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Bobby Fish, you know. Bobby Fish. Oh, he Bobby used to be Fish my manager. Played by uh, what, Ron Cephas Jones, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 Now, now, speaking of the, like, whole marketing, so I think to take it another step further is, like, this idea of naming that yeah. like you definitely mm. begin to see all the way through and like what does a name mean mm. you know um it, especially when it comes to mariah you know uh yeah and so, forth. so it's like the name you know the marketing like people's name means something to somebody right. and so like i definitely you know even with luke you know like you know he may be this like hero mm. for hire but like what about who's luke like or what about you know the name outside of luke so, um, yeah, I think to go along with the whole idea of marketing, like somebody's name, you know, how, how important that is to people. That's that's yeah. a really good point, Grace. And I, as we get further into it, like, you know, w- with uh, Bushmaster's path crossing more with Mariah's, right. like mm-hmm. re- the name, whole idea of the name, like becomes super relevant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we'll get into I mean, that. It's like it's like in your face when it comes to that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sorry. So we pick up, you know, Luke is, is wrecking shop. Um, you know, clearly he, he, he takes care of that, that particular establishment that he, he shuts, he shuts it down, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, it's basically from there. Uh, well, again, going back to the name thing, the last thing he, he says is after he busts up the place, there's a kid, you know, that's selling on the corner and saying he's got that Luke Cage. And like yeah. Luke just yeah. just like looms up behind him and says, "What's my name?" You know. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. He has Walter White moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but better than Walter. Yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but um, so yeah, so then we we cut to a to a sermon, and at at the moment the sermon is first being delivered, we don't necessarily know who's delivering it, but um, right. it it by the end of the episode it's revealed. And um, the ser- the sermon is dealing with Luke Cage, and the sermon is dealing, you know, initially it's, it seems very positive, you know, it's got that whole, it, it's speaking of all the ways that like Luke is appealing to the community and like like who he is, but then it um, you know, it takes a, a turn and begins to discuss uh, you know, the, challenge the idea of worshiping a man and the idea that like you know Luke is a man and men are fallible, and mm-hmm. um. You know that that's the theme, uh, and we later on this episode obviously learn a little bit more about why there that that is the particular sermon that is being delivered. But it also kind of serves to drop us into the story at this point where Luke is, in many ways, kind of on a high. You know, mm-hmm. before before the the inevitable uh, trouble that is that's coming. 
Yeah, in many ways, like I kind of liken that to, like he becomes this messianic leader. So in the same way, you know, that people loved Martin, the same way that people love Malcolm and you know Marcus Garvey and all these folks. Like I feel like Luke becomes that messianic leader in Harlem. Mm. You know, the one that everybody looks to, the one that you know at a certain point he can't do any wrong. He is he is that. He's the charismatic. He's the the leader of the everything. So yeah. But we all know what happens to leaders. So <laughs> exactly. So yeah, essentially. So yeah, the sermon is going on, and and, and we're kind of. Um, it's also visually as the sermon is going on, we're kind of seeing what's going on. We see Misty um, for the first time as she's you know picking up the pieces, and uh, you know, uh, we're, she is decidedly not at a high point. You know, after the right. the events of of the defenders when she lost her arm. And, uh, you know, it's, and, uh, Misty, you know, shout out to Simone Missick as well, just throughout this series, because I, I just, I love seeing her work and seeing what she does and how she, she portrays the character. Um, you know, and Misty's a character obviously of, of a lot of strength, but, uh, she definitely portrays a very convincing vulnerability, um, in this first episode, these first few episodes, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? You know, God, God bless Misty Knight for not punching people every time they made a joke about her arm. Oof, oh my yeah, God! That, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. I know that that was intentional and just sort of to to really sort of get at her, even though she's like this, you know, police hero, probably got all the medals that you know NYPD can give her um, due to the events of the Defenders. But it's still that that little that little knife that people still want to just you know fuck with her because you know she has. She lost a limb, which, by the way, she did in duty. So why would you make fun of that? I, I don't know. Right, right. Well, no, like, I mean, uh, I, I have a th- and this goes on, I want to say, through the first two episodes, the, yeah. the experience that we're describing. Yeah. Um, I personally uh, thought it was powerful in that it, course, it yeah. was expressing this this characterization of a, of a person who is who is disabled and like dealing with the world scrutiny. Yep. But mm-hmm. I think beyond that, like it's that the, is that a police department is like a wolf pack. And like yeah. she's mm. she's basically was once an apex predator, mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm, she's like mm-hmm. clearly damaged and can't do that anymore, according to them. So it's almost like their their like wildlife urge to just to fuck with her. Like that's it's like they have to because they're that's their system that they live in, and it's not a good thing. But I I actually like it made sense to me. Like even though she is like heroic, that they weirdly resent her for it because it it shows what they perceive as a weakness. Um, which I mean, read true to me. I I say that yeah. I'm pulling that out of my ass. I've never worked in a precinct in my life, but that sort of that reads right. No, I think that's a really good point. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. And I think even if you uh, add to the complexity of just her being a woman police officer, which I believe the first season really touched on, as yes. good as she is, there is definitely this um, this the has always kind of been this tone of how she has to be twice as good. You know, to get the recognition, yeah. you know, okay. as, as as a woman police officer in that that predator, you know, environment, that wolf pack that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I, think... I mean, it, it, yeah, it kind of like mirrors just like black women having to, you know, like you said, you know, being twice as hard, yeah. you know, overcompensate, you know, uh, now I got to also make sure I'm not seen as the angry black woman mm-hmm. either. And mm-hmm. I have to, mm-hmm. you know, like keep keep myself calm and all this. And it's like, but you, you want me to work hard. You want me to do this. But then when this happens, then, you know, it's like a damn do, damn don't, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I should say, absolutely, Grace. And I should say that even though, you know, M- Misty hasn't quite gotten her swagger back in this first episode, she, if I'm not mistaken, by the end of episode one, she has basically taken up police work again. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's it's yeah. not, everything isn't in alignment yet, but like, she's not content to just sit on the couch and absolutely and, and, yeah. and, and she's really never there because she's even like just trying to find misty again she's trying to find what she had so there's like this determination although it may it may have been like a rise determination but she like always still had that because it was like i'm not just about to just like sit down and be like fuck it you know yeah she like she's really like okay i, I gotta make something happen here however fast slow whatever mm-hmm yeah so okay so um so mariah like mariah <laughs> mm. um, we yeah. enter and and this is this is one thing that for me right like i you know i know the criticism for season one for a lot of people was that like you know cottonmouth was this amazing villain which he was and then like he's just taken out halfway through the season and i think a lot of people's critique is that diamondback you know which is true like wasn't as compelling of a villain as cottonmouth but right. to me like, I wasn't bothered by that in the same way because, like, I read the first season, like, villain-wise, like, Mariah is the main villain. It's just that it's her yeah. year one story. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, you're kind of seeing this, like, slow rise. You see her, like, her arc throughout the first season is that she's, um, you know, wants to be uh, legit, you know what I mean? Like, she wants to be elected. Although, I mean, a kind of, like, crooked legit certainly like mm-hmm. mariah was mm-hmm. never like totally trying to have her hands clean you know what i mean but she wants to more or less be removed from the path that her grandmother walked with the family business and um you know although just... although she seems to kind of still go into that same path oh definitely yeah 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 and uh and, and i just want to say we're, we're calling her mariah stokes exactly mariah stokes. Right. Right. Stokes. Yeah. Which... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, like, that's super, like, like I really, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I really appreciate that. But anyway, long story short, um, you know, I, we watched Mariah's kind of rise to power in the first season. And we kind of enter at this moment, which is pretty interesting because, you know, clearly Mariah's got her hands in the dirt. She's She's got her um, crown on the wall, albeit, like, you know, um, uh, Cottonmouth. Cottonmouth. Cottonmouth had the had the Biggie portrait with the crown, and she's got a Basquiat portrait Basquiat. with yeah. with the um, the trademark Basquiat crown, and and like that's her, you know, her asserting her queendom. Uh, but anyway, like what what we see is that like she is essentially running like Cottonmouth's business. She's still running the gun business, but um, she's also got her eyes on kind of going legit or at least getting out of the dirty money you know and having like making money in a different way um and just living a safer life you know yo go ahead grace no no i think it's a class thing too like Mm. the whole basquiat and the whole biggie like you know that's that's hood ghetto basquiat is upper class you know of the echelon it's of culture that's you know, although that can be debated how culture is seen, but right. yeah, I mean, you can see the the class level there. She she ain't trying to be, you know, uh, like the other, you know, maybe like urban Harlem. She she's not trying to be that, well, you know. Well, well, let's but let's investigate the ironies of that. I mean, aside from the irony, for one, I feel like Basquiat's um, 
kind of word word in the hood rose after Jay-Z, like, you know, bragged about mm-hmm. hanging yep, yep. or whatever he said, you know. So, like, that that's in there and when I see it. Secondly, Basquiat was a street dude. Yep. Like, the, the offense right. is that he entered, like, you know, the, the artist elite. But, he, I mean, you know, the dude was the farthest thing from. Like, oh, Basquiat yeah. would rarely be in a club like that. And he struggled. I mean, like, one could literally say that that was a big, other than the drugs, that that was a big part of what, what killed him absolutely. was the way that, like, he never comfortably could slide into that, quote-unquote, success. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry. No, I mean, you're, you're, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. That, I think, is a really uh, omnipresent point in reference to this new character who inhabits the office. Hmm. That, yeah, that it's, an, it's, an identity, it's an identity thing, you know, like right. shifting the identity, you know, there. So. But, right. I mean, she's, she's yeah, like she's, she's, uh, she's it's, uh, yeah, erasing a kind of like posturing icon for, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a, a New York City elite approved one mm-hmm. but they're both kind of uh you know identity crisis uh uh, uh complicated icons each of them yeah um, but she, but she has this sense of satisfaction like here's you know the good shit and it's like well have you thought about like, right, who right. that is and what you're hanging up and all yeah. that no that's um, really interesting and it's also like as you know through throughout some of the debates that she has with shades and comanche about like how to proceed with things mm-hmm. at, at different times they're like yo just flip the basquiat <laughs> like you know what i mean right like, right. Right. <laughs> right there's always money in the banana stand like, yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. Like, so we, so you know, we see Mariah as a player, you know, but she's running the the paradise, but she's doing it differently. And like, like we said, like she's kind of got her eyes on the front door. Um, and in that, those moves that she's trying to make, it's happening through through Piranha, you know, um, who who is you know another character like obviously that that existed in the comic book, but but this this Piranha is uh, again is 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 a, is a person <laughs> as opposed to a dude. Right. Crazy. right crazy shark teeth um and <laughs> he's like you know he's interesting we'll get into more because he really comes into the story more throughout the middle of the season but um you know like they're, they're talking about this this plan to essentially like go legit through this insider trading uh this kind of like insider information uh blackmail scheme to to get some some legit money through um what is it was it apex plastics mm-hmm. Or Atreus. Yeah, or a, 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 a well, something. Yeah, yeah. It's a company that starts with A. But uh anyway, um so long long story short, like they're they're trying to get some legit money. Um and you know, through this we kind of see Mariah and Shades and their partnership slash romance. Um and it's interesting. There's this tension that exists, you know, because I think these are both people that are very accustomed to being the alpha. And uh, there's a certain wrestling. I mean, clearly, Mariah is the head of things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But Shades, like, feels the need to assert that he's not going to be sunned. You know? Um, right. And uh, we're introduced pretty quickly to Comanche, who we saw, like, as, you know, Shades, Shades' right-hand man in, in, in jail um, in season one. And he's, uh, you know, he's out now, and he's, he's joining the family business, as it were. And um, there's there is definitely tension there, you know, with Mariah being like basically essentially who is this dude? Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and and there's definitely 
there's definitely some tension, so a, a different type of tension, I think, between like shades and uh, Sh- even even though there's this, this this brotherly love between shades and um, Comanche, there you, there's something else that you you kind of pick up on early, um, and there's this interesting scene um, when they're speaking to Piranha at the uh, the restaurant when the waiter comes up. And he's like, you know, like Shades is and Mariah are kind of hugged up as they're having a conversation. And the waiter comes up and it says like, oh, you know, are you and your auntie going to have dessert or something like that? Mm, right. Mm. And, uh, mm. you know, Shades is not feeling this. He, he, he's not feeling this too much. Not at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, you know, and, and, and clearly there's, there's, a, there's like eye contact that's happening throughout, throughout as like Comanche is observing, just clocking this from the next booth over. And, um... You know, Mariah just, just she just plays it up. She just it starts like, you know, like like kissing on him and being like, you know, are we gonna have anything, uh, nephew, or something like that? And like yeah. essentially That was that was a crazy scene. It was yeah. crazy. No, I was <laughs> not expecting that. That was an uncomfortable scene it was for very me. Uncomfortable I, I, I was for all I'm parties not involved. See how oh. like that at all. Right. Like, I was just like, Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, and I like it's- Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Grace. It's hard for me to like, you know, and I struggle with, you know, um, Mariah in the first season, mm. you know, because I'm thinking Crooklyn, you know, so mm. I see Alfred and I see Crooklyn, and, and you know, I'm like, I like the complexity, and I like the fact that she's playing this villain, but still, a part of me is uncomfortable, uncomfortable, it's like yeah. very, very uncomfortable yeah. with who she is, and it's like, I guess it pushes. You know, the boundaries pushes the, you know, things outside the box. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just very uncomfortable. I, th- I think that's a that's a great point. And I think that discomfort in a in a, in a messed up way, like I dig that discomfort because I, I I've loved Alfie Woodard since Crooklyn and, and before, right. you know what I mean? And and I think that this series is really allowing her to do something that I don't think any other role has allowed to do her to do you know what i mean like yeah. part of why like i really appreciate her is because she, i think she has incredible uh, acting range and i think she's very good at playing like a strong you know dignified character um mm-hmm. but like she's i don't know i feel like this mariah character is kind of like a playground for her acting wise where she gets to yeah kind of yes. run around and do some yes. different things you know yes i i totally and and the uncomfortable scenes with her, and again, not that it's a bad thing, but you know, knowing how we've seen, you know, Alfred Woodard, it gets worse. You know, in terms of like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, yes. I cannot believe yes. she just did that. You know, like it's and that, and that's the best part. Uh, and she is absolutely the best part of the season. But it's just like, I feel like that one scene was just mm. for you to get really used to the fact that this whole thing is going to be uncomfortable for us. Yeah. <laughs> And well, it's not even just the uncomfortableness of her and Shades. It's everything, everything that yeah. she does. Well, yeah, and let, let's unpack that for a second. Because, like, like you know, Mariah's character in the first season, we, you know, are we find out that she experienced some really, you know, messed up, like, right. abuse, rape stuff, like, you know, as a, as a young girl, you know, that was, like, kind of central... Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and it was very central to who she became, and like throughout, she she just she in, invokes you know sexuality as a weapon, you know, in in very interesting ways, mm-hmm. and it's not like because this series isn't 
told from this weird male gaze that we're accustomed to, you know, it's not a situation of what we're used to seeing when we see kind of like a, a, a femme fatale or like a, you know, a woman kind of using sexuality as a weapon. Like this is, this is different. And this, and there's a certain power that she has that you wouldn't necessarily see. I think if this was like strictly a right. dude trying to right. like render a woman as a, right. You know. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, we, we'll get more into that, but like, like needless to say, uh, like we said, <laughs> shades just was not feeling the whole situation. <laughs> and, um, you're going to respect my boo. You're going to respect me and my boo. Right. And uh, I, so there's two things, right? Like there is that there's, you're going to respect me and my boo, but there's another, when, when I rewatched this after having watched going further into the season, I do think there was another layer to shades his anger because like after the directly after the scene like um you know shades and comanche beat this waiter down in the back mm-hmm. of the restaurant mm-hmm. you know they just beat him down for that that humiliation that went down and one thing that occurred to me is like they're watching it for the second time i feel like there may have been a certain level of flirtation in the waiter's comment you know which shades well, it's, a, it's a dismissal it's that's your nephew and exactly right that means that i could you know potentially ask you out right. it's a dis- total disrespecting again you're gonna respect me and my book yeah and for for reasons for reasons that i think we'll find out later i think that that also pushed a button for shades um yeah. it, you know along those lines i think a lot of shades is acting uh a lot of his the stuff he was doing throughout the early part of the season was nonverbal. Like you get this sense of this weight that's on him for multiple reasons, this weight that's on him for like, kind of, you know, feeling like he's maybe second string after Mariah, but also like wanting to be loyal and wanting to maintain this partnership, you know, and you just, I don't know, like, like you feel like shades is carrying a lot. Like I think I think a lot of the stuff he's doing is is nonverbal. Uh, you know, um, that's not to say he doesn't speak, but you you get the sense that he's carrying a lot on his shoulders. But you even notice that, like in the first season, where he, like you said, he's he doesn't want to be sunned and he doesn't want to be like second in charge either. You know, mm. I mean, all you know, he he kind of you know took out some folks and yeah. like nobody ever knows. You know, and um, you know him and Cottonmouth weren't necessarily like. Like uh, happy, happy, right? Seeing eye to eye. So, you know, for me, I think it was like ego too for Shay's. Like, you know, and it's I see that like throughout the whole series. Like his ego, he's constantly trying to make sure it's intact and like not bruised. So, Mm -hmm. and and he he is that dude, the kind of the inspector deck of it all. You know, he's that dude who'll sit back and watch you play yourself. Like, so he's not necessarily Mm going to be loud. And I think that's exemplified. There, so there's this meeting where they're they're speaking to some of the potential the the players you know what I mean that that could provide the capital um in basically for Mariah to to sell the gun business um and you know they're trying to decide who they're gonna they're gonna run with you know in in selling off the guns and um uh Dontrell cockroach he he he's you know everybody steps up and makes their pitch for why Mariah needs to deal with them. And like cockroach, you know, steps up and and his whole thing is like very braggadocious, and he's talking about like, yo, we need to keep Harlem black, like really black, and like that part was interesting too because as he yeah. says it, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Mariah kind of defensively takes Shades' hand, like you know what I mean, like because she can tell that it's kind of a shot, 
you know. Um, and it's kind of like one of many indignities that Shades quietly kind of like takes, you know what I mean, throughout this early part of the season without like, he doesn't do a cotton mouth and like violently explode when, when disrespected. Something He's, he's right. kind of calculating and he kind of just kind of sits back, you know, and, 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 and let stuff happen and then is plotting on what's going to happen next. But um, but yes, yeah, like that was, so a that, very, that was a very interesting scene, you yeah. know, because you what you also had was uh, the guy from Washington Heights, Lopezero, mm-hmm. that he was there as well. Yeah. So you know, I also I took that as a slight to him as well mm-hmm. yep. to, to El Tercero. So, um, and I, and of course, whatever what ends up happening to him, I already knew what was going to happen. I just knew that. As a Latino, I was like, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I know, I, 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 you, you just know what's going to happen. It's, there's always going to be, you know, the Latin thug that's always going to get it in the end. So, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, I, I found that to be a very interesting scene. Yeah, it, it was. And you know what? I mean, that's a good point. And let's, let's unpack that a little bit further because, I mean, Nigel was also there and he, he represents Brooklyn. And he's uh, he's our introduction to, to the Yardies, to the, the Jamaicans, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're operating out of, of Brooklyn. And I I see that as um, also a slight there as well. You know, I mean, like as a, a Jamaican myself, like there's always been this weird tension that I never dug or got into. But there's always been this kind of weird tension at times of this divide of like black Americans versus Jamaicans, you know. And, I, you know, obviously I think it's crazy and it's it's an issue and I think we need to transcend it. But it exists and it's real, and I think this mm-hmm. series definitely doesn't shy away from that that um, conflict that's existed. And um, so, yeah, I, I I think Nigel was also included in that kind of slight of like keeping things like really black, you know. And you know, it's interesting that you all bring that up. So when I was in South Africa, that was something that I was telling a lot of the folks there. I was like, you know, uh, the first time I went here came here, you know, I was like, there was always this divide or disconnect between Africans and, you know, um, in the U.S. and African-Americans. Like, there's, like, kind of like this, like, tension, like you said, between the two. Mm. But, like, when I go to the continent, it's a whole nother beast. Like, so um, I didn't feel that. And I I remember telling them that and being like, I don't feel like you all treat me differently because I'm an African-American. If anything, I, I feel like you all treat me like I'm the same as, like, we're the same. Right. And so, um, one guy was like, well, I don't understand. What do you mean? Like they treat the, you know, it's this a uh, different treatment. I was like, yeah, you know, Africans in the U S don't treat African-Americans the same as if, you know, you know, when they're in the U S but it's like on the continent, it's totally different. So, you know, um, I think it's like both sides, you know, African-Americans yeah. and everybody like they perpetuate this stereotype that may not even that may be non-existent but we've created it (laughs) absolutely and i I can speak to it a little bit in the sense like i was first introduced to it like you know through my mom's experiences and you know and i i think there is a certain commonality between african immigrants and the way that there are clashes sometimes and, and jamaican immigrants and i think the idea is like you know coming from from you know the the caribbean the caribbean or coming from the continent it's like a lot of times you got to like just, you know, bust your ass and just really, right. really rise to the top to, to to make it happen. You know what I mean? And there is this perception that happens that's like, you know, people come here and they're like, oh, man, I did it. Like, you know, right. and, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, these Afro-Americans are lazy, blah, blah, blah. Yep. 
I've gotten in many a debate with my father over the years. We don't need to get into that. But, like, um, you know, obviously, we know there's way more complexities institutionalized that that contribute to the challenges that black people face here. But, um, you know, like, there's this perception that it's kind of happening because they're not they're not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, so I I do think there's a reason for like why in your experience, Grace, like people who are living on the continent aren't necessarily holding that same judgment because they don't have the same experiences of of people who are coming from Africa and like really having to hustle to to make it here. You know what I mean? And like they have this perception that it's almost like a competition. And I know with my mother, like right. she, she, my mother, like does not mess with anybody. She's not. I mean, in, I don't even mean she doesn't mess around. Like she doesn't play. I mean, in the sense that like she just she works hard. She does her thing. She doesn't disrespect people. You know what I mean? She doesn't kind of get into drama. And she had um she had this job and she came in and she just basically kept kind of rising through the ranks over the years. And um there was a lot of cultural clashes happening with uh, with other black people there that were like essentially perceiving like they would say like flat out like oh who is this you know this immigrant that's going to come in and take all my you know take everything mm-hmm. from us you mm-hmm. know and that was very much like a real thing that she dealt with um and it's just it, it becomes circular because then like you know obviously jamaican people get on the defensive and then they start judging right. and it just becomes a never-ending loop um, can can we can we take a moment to pause? Yeah, we are going way over. We are, we way are definitely absolutely. Do, could, do, should we isolate the first episode to the first episode since we had to bring all this background and talk about how we appro- how we came to Luke Cage and? Yep. Do you yeah. want to do that? And then I was we'll thinking, make, I was like, thinking about that too. Yeah. yeah, like make the second chunk like three, you know, three or whatever we're gonna do. Like, yeah, I didn't, th- I didn't realize that we would because we couldn't just like start the episode and be like, so Luke Cage <laughs> is fighting these drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Let's let's talk about, I think the surprising thing for me about this episode was that Luke can take a Judas bullet. Mm. Like, Uh when did that happen? You know what I mean? And and I'm very very happy that sort of Claire explained that, oh, well, remember in, you know, season one when you were re-soaked in whatever, maybe your skin is doubly hard. Um, It's it's like, Claire, what are you editing my Wikipedia page? You know? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was good, too, just in the sense that, like, from a narrative perspective, like, that was clearly the big challenge to Luke. The first season. In one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, we don't need to kind of reintroduce that challenge, you know. So I, I kind of like the fact that they just wrote in, like, no, he's tough for now and he can take a Judas bullet. Right. Right. Because, right. yeah, because, you know, because it, it's like it's like the change, the uh, challenges to him this season are far more existential. So it doesn't... And, and essentially, essentially it closes sort of that loop in season one. You know, yeah. like, yeah. he's tough and everything unless you have a Judas bullet. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I have Superman, but, you know, I got I got I got a kryptonite Kryptonite. ring so I can take him out whenever. You know what I mean? So, no, it kind of closes that loop. Although I want to also say that throughout this season, there's a couple there's a couple moments with weaponry that were pretty inventive where it was like it wasn't a matter of like, can he take it or not? It was like you can still kind of fuck him up. Yeah. Like you get him the yeah. right way at the right time with the right shit. Like you can you can get at him. And so, like, they they do make that clear. Like he's not. He's not magical, invincible man. Right. Like he, you know, he he gets physically moved by things. You know, yeah. It's a. But yet and still, you know, folks still coming at him with the bullets. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and as well, they if, got to. They got to. But, that. but it's like, really, like we we haven't really figured that out. Like you know, y'all still gonna waste your bullets? Like you no, know, that's hood. That's hood taxes. They yeah. gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. 
they get they get recompensated. They get compensated for it. Like they like, they're gonna have, they're gonna be a couple bent guns. That's a given. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but um, yeah, yeah. So like that's a good point, and uh, the point at which we we see that you know, as Tony mentioned, the Judas Bullet introduced reintroduced is Arturo, right? When he um. He basically mm-hmm. he, he lays a trap. I should also say that we're also reintroduced to to Sugar from season one, who had uh-huh, had been running uh-huh. with with uh, Cottonmouth. Um, at the beginning of the episode, early in the episode, we kind of find out that he's a driver now, and he's more legit. You know what I mean? Like maybe not like legit, legit, but he's kind of like a, a driver and a bodyguard. You know, and right. him and Luke have a moment. Uh, and Luke does have a moment of pettiness, which he. Uh, he definitely bemoans, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so sugar um, essentially is willing to be a part of this trap. Um, I guess Arturo may be who he's driving for, but anyway, he, he kind of like sets a trap for Luke to go to this site where Luke Luke was looking for the the Judas guns, right? At that mm-hmm. point, yeah, yeah. And then like basically Arturo blows up the 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 spot, and like Luke comes out like you know the hell is you doing? You know, and um, that's when Arturo blasts him, and uh, he clearly can take it. He holds that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he holds it. And then um, also, also, quick shout out about Arturo Ray. <laughs> um, <laughs> straight up, like I fucking hate the million webless stores that are all over every fucking ghetto in New York <laughs> with the cheap ass plywood ass furniture and like the gaudy bed headboards and shit yeah, because and every like, furniture king is a fucking you know gun yeah it's, oh, it's <laughs> oh, just like, oh man i hate those spots so much and it's like i thought that was a pretty savvy uh use of like like a kind of villain's backstory yeah um i thought that was smart yeah so uh, <laughs> and, oh and shout out to a grown man like sugar you know they, once you all see what he looks like, you know, yeah. like the fact that that's his name, Sugar, and he kind of carries that. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to being a grown man like that. I wouldn't either, but yeah. I mean. I didn't want to say it to his face, but yeah. I'm going to talk behind his back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he leaves, I'll be talking again. I'll be talking yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, so anyway, yeah, so, so yeah, so Luke, Luke uh, gets blasted, but he, he clearly is all right. Um, and, and, you know, he's just walked out an explosion and he's like really unhappy, you know, and DW shows up with the camera as always. Yes. Um, you know, Luke is like, yo, you're filming all this and like, you know, and then, and then Luke just decides to lean into it. He's like, all right, whatever B. And so he does, he like, he like talks, talks junk to the camera. We've all seen it in the trailer. He's talking about like, I'm Luke Cage. You know, you can't blast me. You can't blow me up. You know, you damn sure can't stop me. And he basically says, like, yo, if you think you if you think you could take me out, then step up, which clearly is going to be a, a challenge, yeah. which <laughs> which will be taken up later. But we'll get to that mm, on the next. We episode. will get to that. We will get to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was very interesting. The the whole I am Harlem and Harlem is me. Then, you know, hit the dab. Mm. You know, it, it's again, it's part of that that social media thing that that we kind of discussed earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting because it's, I mean, I clearly there's a running theme in season one of like, you know, Luke, Luke is kind of corny at times where people are like, of, of how like Luke is both this revered, respected and feared person in the community. But he's also kind of like, you know, as, as he's trying to, trying to find his way to fit in to this social media age. Like, like it is a little awkward. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the dad, the dad was a little awkward. I think it was intentionally so. 
you know, the way the way it went down. So um anyway. you know, that kind of that kind of gives me a feel of like when Captain America yeah. Steve Rogers is like talking to um Falcon and trying to be like, okay, so Marvin Gaye or such like he's like yeah, so yeah. far mm-hmm. back, like he's trying to come up with the times. That's you true. know, mm-hmm. so it kind of reminded me of that. Which is a good point because it's kind of like when, you know, people obviously are, are, are locked up, like, you know, you lose time in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, right. they kind of addressed in the first season, but like, you know, so it would make sense that maybe he wouldn't necessarily like just pop out, like just. Yeah. You know what? I'd rather he hit the dab than any of these like other dancers. Let's right. just, I'd rather he hit I don't want him to do no, no trap music and then, you know, with the kicking and stuff. Let's, let's just keep it to the dab. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luke Cage would be crunking. <laughs> like, I, they, were, they were doing this when I went in. <laughs> you know? Yo, we, we need a web series that explores all of this. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know I wanted that until you guys started talking about it. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I, I think we've kinda, we're, we're kinda, we haven't mentioned is Bushmaster. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about Bushmaster. First of all, the dude can dress. Okay. Yes. yes. My dude can dress, and I'm kind of loving it. Um, but I kind of, I kind of want your opinion, Marcus, on on you know Bushmaster and him being the the Jamaican. You know, well, how did you feel about that? How does that represent representation? No, I gotta tell you, like, yes. Well, we will definitely get all into this, but just like off off top, like I've certainly, you know, been on record several times on on this podcast and others, you know, speaking about. You know, my frustration growing up, seeing Jamaicans represented in films, usually as the dudes who run out and, like, literally just kind of utter the few bits of Jamaican, uh, you know, language that the average American is kind of used to, just to kind of be like, oh, you know, Ross Clyde, blah, 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 and then they get their next snap by Steven Seagal or whatever, you know. Side, sidebar, sidebar, I, yeah. because I haven't seen it in song, I can't remember. Right. Jamaican dudes in Predator Two. Yes, and it was terrible. It was terrible. I honestly don't remember them. It like, was I bad. Oh no, Predator okay. Two is right up there with Steven Seagal. Predator Two was right up there with Steven Seagal. They were like okay. literally right. there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh my God, Steven Seagal. I'm sorry. Yes, I remember. <laughs> Screwface. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, uh, uh. It's like literally. Oh, like, that was terrible. Yeah, like these writers like just were like, all right, man, let's listen to some reggae songs for about you know, an hour, and then we'll write these characters, you know, yeah. and that, that was pretty much the extent of it. Anyway, like, these, again, you know, I hadn't seen Jamaicans really represented as human beings, and it damn sure didn't seem like my family, you know, or the people that I knew, you know, and, like, this season, like, really brought that. They brought, um, just in the, and one thing I love, <laughs> they didn't, dumb down the patois like you know what i mean right. like yes. i would yes. I, I would actually ask you guys because me it's like i'm listening to it and I, I know exactly what's being said i know the little you know what, what everything implies and means but like how was it following as you know just for like people who aren't necessarily jamaican like following so like what's being said i will i, I do this anyway because you know i feel like i'm getting old uh, i watch everything with closed caption yeah, yeah. um so it was interesting to hear it and then to see, I mean, it's, they're saying the same things, but it's like, it's like they say it and then they put it in like proper English. Mm. You know what I mean? And they do the caption, ca- the caption, so like the caption, like, nor- I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 converts yeah. It, it yeah. converts it into conversational English. 
after a while, I kind of I kind of looked at both just to see, you know, like what. Of course, I would understand it regardless, but really, you, you got to like, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the sentence and yeah, and they turned like the that. me, they turned to me into my and like stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My ex, my ex <laughs> was was Bushmaster. Like, I, oh. you know. So in, not in that, like, oh. not to yo, the, yo this podcast took a turn. It just Hold got up. real. It wait, just wait, got wait, real. Wait, 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 Not not to the extreme. No, I know, I know, him, I know, I know. But like like so, I definitely understood what he was saying because like he would talk, you know. And his his dad lived here, so like he was talking. And then most of my friends are from Jamaica or from the West Indies somewhere. So it was like I'm I'm like I'm getting all that. Mm-hmm. But the whole personality, the ego, the stubbornness, all that. And I was like, oh god, this is so familiar. Like this was. In the mannerisms, yeah, yeah. And he's just like oh. clicking his teeth, like yes, yes, yes. yes. Like, yo, he was, he pointed at people like a Jamaican. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was real bad. Like no, I thought it was well done. I mean, it was almost to the extent where you know, I gotta admit, I'm not as um, familiar with the the actors. What's his name? Mustafa. Mustafa Shakir. Shakir, yeah, I'm not as um, familiar with his other roles, so I don't even know. Like, is is he uh, Jamaican or or was he just playing I'm, the hell out of his part? You know, I've been like trying to look that up for the I'm longest. I'm almost positive. Now, I want to say he's a British cat. Okay. I believe. But, he, but they say he was born in Harlem. So. Mm. You know, oh really? Oh really? Mm-hmm. Grew up in Harlem. Attended the yeah, theater his, there. Yeah. His IMD profile is very light. Yeah, that's yeah. where and I look. Everywhere so. his bio no, is light. But, but most no, most noted like. For me, why I was so excited to see him appear on the screen is that he was a character in the criminally underwatched show Quarry, which yes, is one of my yes. absolute favorites, and he's amazing in that. Totally different character, but also a badass. He was mm-hmm. kind of like a like a hitman type of dude in it, um, and I loved him in that. And so more of that dude is. Um, he, down. he was also in uh, the Night of as well too. He had a yeah. A couple... okay. Who was he? Who was he in the Night of? Victor. Uh, uh, Victor, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he was in The Deuce, too, more recently, also, before Luke Cage. Oh, like, yes, yeah. he was a pimp. He was a pimp. Yep, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, and I want to say he was on that Jamaican-ness in that. Yes, okay. maybe? Yeah, I think. I think I, think. So. I, I have I a memory. It's been a while since I've seen The Deuce, but I have a memory that he was actually also on that tip. I forgot that he was in that. Right. So oh, he's man. quite possibly, like, maybe where I'm at. Like, like you know, like, first generation, but grew up not on the island you know what i mean uh-huh, uh-huh. but um but either way like you know what he must at the very least have jamaican family because it's it's uh there was something very natural about it and and the swagger yes. and the cockiness and like i gotta say man i i villain wise i think he tops cottonmouth for me you know yeah he takes he steps it up uh-huh. he takes it up a, a couple notches yeah. yeah i know cottonmouth I'll- is revered and he came first but uh i don't yeah, know i'm gonna have to work through the through that idea on the next few episodes that we do. Okay. I, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I need to think about it. I need to think about that. Yeah. About Cotton, about him being even top in Cottonmouth. Because, yeah, I kind of, I think Cottonmouth is a bit gilded. He's, uh... He's, no, I he's love Cottonmouth. I do. But yeah. I think, I just think Bushmaster just, honestly, does... Bushmaster takes it to another level. Yeah. But we can talk about but I think that. He, and and I feel like he gets more developed, though, than Cottonmouth. Like, yeah, that's true. Know, so. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I almost spoiled it. I'm not going to. But yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah. I. So so that's the. I mean, what's everyone else's thoughts on on Bushmaster? I like him so, as a character. <laughs> I think. I yeah. I think. I think he. I think he kind of. He kind of has his cake and eats it. He's got. He's got it all. And, um, I yeah. Like hit. 
his ad the, the the well yeah we can't get into it too much but the the way that him and Luke Cage eventually relate to each other is interesting. Yes, yes. Like I, I, I yeah, I would, I big thumbs up. I think Bushmaster is a is a, is a big shining part of this season. Legit, he's definitely legit. Yeah. As much as I wanted to be like, oh, I don't like you, but then I, I mm. under, I begin to empathize with him. Yeah. More as each yeah. episode, you know, comes through. So yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, as we referenced, like, you know, we're just introduced to him in this episode. So, you know, pretty much what we see this episode is, you know, him speaking to Sheldon, who is his uh, his right hand about, you know, making a move on Harlem. But he's like, you know, first we're going to take take Brooklyn, you know, and um, Nigel, who's his brother is not wait, is Nigel his, his brother or his cousin? His, uh, his uncle. His uncle. Okay, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, yeah. So he's 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 got a plan. You clearly can tell that he's got a plan, and that he's you know somewhat methodical, and he's you know he knows the way he wants to execute it. Um, but we don't we don't necessarily see the plan go into action until the the next episodes. But um, but we're very much aware that this is a, a player that is to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, is that is that how the episode ends? I'm trying to remember where it ends. It ends. I mean, it ends. With, it ends with the the joy song. That's right. Yes. That's yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's capped off with joy, and I want to say uh, she got Omi on stage too. D nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. D nice is the DJ, right? Like he's right, DJing right. throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it. But uh, isn't some who else is on? There's someone else that performs with her. This Am I crazy? Is... It's it's obviously been a while since I've seen the first episode. Yeah. I'm gonna rely on y'all. No, it's just it's just joy. Yeah, it's been a while. Since I think it might yeah. just be joy. If I'm yeah, honest. I thought it was just yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I'm sure someone will correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, correct us if we're wrong. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, please do, please do. Yeah. But uh, just so... to just to tap into cockroach real quick, I meant to say this when you all brought him up before. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So it was it's interesting to see him on stage on the screen you know with his wife also being in it you know as well too and i think we'll probably go into that definitely um as we proceed further um into uh, the episodes but that was just one thing that it was i found really interesting that dynamic between those two working in the same series together and um yeah and as we talk about it we'll wait who, who is his wife you mean his real life wife yeah, Simone McKissick, their, their oh, husband. Oh, that's her husband. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, that's a whole other... I didn't yeah, make that connection. Like, yeah. Yeah, because they did like, not necessarily have a harmonious uh, no, on-screen no. uh, relationship. And, like, they're the total opposite of that right. in real life. Like, they are kind of like goals. Like, people call them couple goals. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's like... And having also met them both in person, mm-hmm. they're like totally two different people from the characters that they play. So, yeah. yeah. So I have a couple of notes before we end this off. A um, uh, couple of things. I, they did men- they, There was a Daredevil mentioned in this episode. Yes. Um, there was uh, Claire called Luke Power Man at one point. Right, which right. Was, yeah. was, was funny. Yeah. Um, then I, I believe that Mariah actually threatens Luke through Claire, basically saying, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you keep messing around and, you know, whatever. What I I also want to point, I don't think that we mentioned this on this podcast, is um, Reggie Cathy. Uh, yeah. Oh. This is, yeah, this is his final, <laughs> this is his final performance. Um, 
mm-hmm. not this episode, but yes, this 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 series. So this it right. um, I'm really really happy that he's he's in this, and I think that as we go forward, he he this becomes a, a very crucial uh, yeah. role for him. Yeah, he plays a um, very significant role. And I find that you know he had that one line where you know every siren is not for you. I thought that that was mm-hmm. that was great. Yeah. That was that was, that yeah. was a, a great line. Um, also, let's see what else I have here. You're gonna laugh. I'm gonna say this. They mentioned Sue's Rendezvous, which is a <laughs> it's a strip club in Mount Vernon. Doesn't happen anymore. It's not open anymore. But the reason I found that to be interesting is they mentioned this as another neighborhood. Mount Vernon, you don't really hear that. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So when, when did um, they mention that? So I'm trying to remember. I forgot. I forgot when it happened, but okay. it was just one of those things. Oh, you know, I was, we were at Sue's Rendezvous or whatever, mm. and I just found that to be a very particular. Yeah. It's a, it's a very particular mention because it's also mentioned by several uh, hip hop artists as well, um, and it makes me wonder: are, are you trying to expand the world here? Of, you know, no, you went from Harlem to Brooklyn. You know, you're talking a little bit about Washington Heights. Now you mentioned Mount Vernon, which I don't think is mentioned throughout the rest of the series anyway. But um, I found that to be very, very interesting. So, yeah. Okay. That, well, like that's... you said, the fact that Mark, Mount Vernon is rarely ever mentioned when talking about New York anyway. Yeah, so. period. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you, any of you have lived in Mount Vernon. I have. That's that's that place is black. And I don't mean that negatively at all. Right. Um, Mount Vernon's got it happening up there. You know what I mean? Am I crazy? Was that DMX's old stomping ground? I don't. I don't it was definitely P Rock and Seal Smooth. <laughs> like I don't yeah. P Rock and Seal Smooth represent. And Heavy D are from. Heavy D, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, D, yeah, DMX was. DMX born in was Mount Yonkers. Yonkers. No, That's he was. Right, Yonkers. He was born in Mount Vernon. Oh, okay. All right, you're right. Yeah, I just, I just, I just. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought That's so. A quick Google. Damn. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yo, yo, yo! Go- I read, Google, a, I read a lot Google of shit. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think this is a solid first episode, um, yep. and for some reason, I, I, I find myself really thinking about um, all the series we're now getting. Luke Cage, uh, you know, this comes out after Black Panther. This is mm-hmm. this has very much been in our range. I, I think mm-hmm. that shows like this just give us gives us more work. To be honest with you, and I love it. Mm-hmm. But isn't this kind of like the timing in the first season when Black Panther shows up in Civil War? Like, is that happening the same year or no? I I think so. So, yeah, it's kind of like interesting how that plays out again. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that uh, this first episode, um, it just kind of, for me, reasserted why... For me personally, like Luke Cage is my favorite Marvel Netflix series. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that has to do with community. Like, you know, there's good things about all the series, maybe not Iron Fist. But, like, even the other Marvel series that I like on Netflix, like, Luke Cage has a sense of its own little world and community in a way that those shows don't. And obviously, yeah. I, I think being, you know, the, the blackness, clearly, I mean, yes, I, I have some bias there as far as, like, why it would be my favorite. But I think that um, even beyond that, there is they create a world. They create a community. And I think that is what happens, again, when you have representation behind the camera because, you know, you have people that maybe recognize the cultural significance of community in a way that maybe other writers might not necessarily see when they're rendering their world i mean if anything i think also luke cage as we've said before uh the music 
and, and Coker is very intentional about this. I've heard in interviews where he's very intentional about the music mm-hmm. and, you know, in the episodes and series. And the fact that for me, like Harlem still remains a character in the series. Like yes. it's not just yeah. simply yeah. the city. It is a character yeah. um, that is throughout. So um, I feel like that's much more intentional than when, you know, seeing it in Jessica Jones, seeing it in Daredevil. Like it's it really is present in that. So, right. uh, yeah. Oh, and and also you you mentioned music, I, Gregory Gregory Isaacs. You know, we we had Night Nurse. Ah, yes. Like, oh, one of my night, favorite night songs. Night yes. Nurse. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. That that's the first one, right? The first. Yeah, I think so. First yeah. Biggest song we got. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. The second that the second that came on, I'm like, this is gonna be a different season. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, it, but it was so timely with her being a nurse and the right. song. Yeah. 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 I was like, y'all y'all know what y'all doing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So yeah, y'all. I mean, uh, definitely. I'll, you know, go around for final thoughts. But I just, just for the audience, like, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we did, and um, we will be, uh, you know, come check back soon because we'll be discussing in our next episode, episodes two through four. You know, we have been planning on doing one through four, but like honestly, we have so much to say about episode one and kind of the series in general that like clearly we're going to need to to really dive into the following three episodes on their own so um we will do that so if after you listen to this if you haven't watched episodes two through four definitely go check them out so you can come back and you know join us and and get in a discussion with us um for the next episode so yeah grace any other thoughts uh i mean it starts out with a bang like Literally, and I think you know it. That begins the telltale of the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I got there. All right, cool, Tony. You know, <clears throat> being being a hero for for hire is just just not easy. It's very complicated, and <laughs> obviously he needs sponsorship because they keep tearing up his clothes. I mean, come on. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> that's true. He does. It's particularly a hoodie sponsorship. But yeah. <laughs> Well, you see how he had to just, yeah, with the hoodies, yeah. it just got to yeah. be, yeah. yeah. So. That's what's up. Yo, uh, Leo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of my favorite things about sequels, and this goes for shows as well as movies, I love the fact that we can just get to it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we, don't need, we don't need any setup. We can pretty much, like, jump into what they want to do with the story this time. And I feel like this gave it to us. Like, this kind of, you know, points in a, in a few directions, uh, touches on all the characters, has, like, a little tiny introduction of Bushmaster, but we're going to see more of him. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a really satisfying premiere. Cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everyone. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I do like the way we just jumped into it. Um, and it's, it's dope. So uh, Luke Cage is back, and uh, we will be back very soon. You know, like I mentioned, discussing episodes two through four. So make sure you you go check out episodes two through four and um, join us again soon. Peace, y'all. Yep. Peace out, everyone. Peace. See ya. Black comics, Black comics, Black comics, Black comics.